0: Welcome to the Ellis Martin Report. During this broadcast, you will learn of potential investment opportunities involving publicly traded companies. These companies have paid us for exposure on this program. We ask that before you consider any possible investment choice, do your own research. You can begin the research process by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. Remember, if you do invest in any publicly traded concern, you do so at your own risk. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Harry Barr, the Chairman and CEO of New Age Metals, trading as NAM on the TSX Venture Exchange and NMTLF in the U.S. New Age Metals, Incorporated is a mineral exploration company focused on the discovery, exploration and development of Canada's largest primary platinum group metals, PGM Deposit, the River Valley PGM Project, located in the Sudbury region of Northern Ontario. The company also has a lithium division with five lithium projects, of which three are drill-ready. The company's philosophy is to be a project generator explorer with the objective of optioning or joint venturing their projects with major and junior mining companies through to production. Harry, welcome back to the program. Nice to have you on the air again.
1: Thanks for having us back, Ellis.
0: According to a recent news release, New Age Metals has completed the Genesis PGM Polymetallic Technical Report. Management, that would be you, is actively seeking an option joint venture partner for the drill-ready, road-accessible Alaskan project. Let's talk about that, Harry.
1: Yes, our company is focused on developing platinum group metals. To that end, we have 100% of North America's largest undeveloped primary platinum group metal deposit, which is our River Valley project near Sudbury, Ontario. We've worked in Alaska, and I've worked in Alaska for many years since 1985, and I had the good fortune in 1985 to meet a gentleman by the name of Curtis Freeman, and he is one of Alaska's largest geological consulting companies. And through those years, Kurt has developed an extensive database, and we were able, our company, to sign a two-year Binding Letter of Intent with Avalon Development. That's Curtis's company. And that allows us to basically look at his PGM, Platinum Group Metal database that he has there. And and many Platinum Group metals in Alaska, like Canada, come with base metals. So to that end, uh, he has a very exciting project in the sense that it's road accessible. It's certainly underexplored. Very highly prospective project that has A set of many drill prospects on a palladium, platinum, nickel, copper property. Just as importantly in Alaska, it is road accessible. There's a fair bit of work being done, but Ellis has never been drilled yet.
0: So I really don't know about the size of the project potentially, but I imagine that it's got a sizable footprint.
1: The footprint in terms of size of our project is about 10,240 acres, which is quite a lot of land. More importantly, it's road accessible, which is important in Alaska. And just as importantly, there's been a lot of surface work done on it. And to give you an idea, we already know there's an outcrop that is mineralized and it's around 850 meters long, or if you multiply that, just short of about 2,500 feet long, that's a long strike and it has up to about 120 meters of uh, a true thickness in places so and it has a very good grade it has platinum group metals and nickel and copper so all of that will come together and that's basically called a polymetallic project but it yet to date it has not been drilled
0: when i look at this company and when i look at you harry Barr, i look at someone who's in the real estate business the process of acquiring land that's worthwhile that you can develop and flip it is that a fair analogy
1: well, the junior mining company, you know, you can look at a, a good junior as a sophisticated prospector, a little more sophisticated because we understand the stock market and how to raise funding and bring shareholders together for a common goal. So that makes us a little bit different, but we use what's become more I guess commonly known in the last few years, a prospector generator model. So we go out and we'll acquire a good mining prospect. And then as quickly as we can, we'll spend our own money for a certain period of time and we'll develop to a certain point. But as quickly as we can, using the prospector generator model, we'll go out and find that option joint venture partner. And as you know, our company has, uh, New Age Metals, has really two different, Objectives. One of them is to find platinum group metal deposits that often come with other metals like copper and nickel in North America. But we also have a lithium division, and the lithium division has eight projects. I'm bringing it up today because... We told our shareholders about a year ago that we're putting together a great series of projects in Manitoba and near Winnipeg. Most of them are all road accessible. And we told our shareholders we're going to go out and find a partner to help us finance it. And to that end, we've done that and we have quite an extensive program being fully funded by a third party this year. So that's what we're hoping to do here. We're going to do a program ourselves on the Genesis project this fall and it will continue to nail down some of these drill targets we have. A little history behind it is this is a project that we had known about before. We had got involved in it to a certain point, and we brought our very big company called Stillwater into being our partner on this are now called Sabanye Stillwater but Stillwater is the only big there's two mines in Stillwater, Montana that produce most of your platinum group metals in the United States to this day and a uh, company from South Africa just took it over in the last couple of years and it's now called Sabanye Stillwater but it's a very major platinum group metal producer but it also has base metals with it. So that company was our partner and we really got to the point where we built it up on their money and we're ready to go drilling and Kurt was the geologist behind the scenes Kurt of on Development, the gentleman we've just done to deal with. And long story short, the terrible times of 2008 and 9 came along, and the company Stillwater just didn't go ahead. We were literally ready to drill the project. The- properties fell back to curtis freeman and the ideas of the properties and essentially he's kind of kept that whole concept going up until we reintroduced ourselves this year and done a deal with him to number one tie up his database for the next two years to look at all the ideas he has for platinum group metals and base metals in alaska and then number two we finally tied up the deal in genesis so it's a property that was ready to be drilled quite a few years ago and for a host of reasons it didn't Happen, The big company backed out of it and then Kurt basically signed a deal with us and we have the right to earn 100% of it. You'll have a royalty at the end of the day and then we can take this, this project and then find a partner just like we did with our lithium division. That's what we hope to do but at the same time we're going to spend another round of money this fall to do more field work to basically perfect the drill targets we have and to add more new ones to the project.
0: Some of the companies in the junior space, they may just build a story on one particular project like this, and that's the whole company. This is not New Age Metals.
1: No, we're diversified. You've got to watch as a junior how well diversified you get. When you look at our holding costs on the Genesis property, it's virtually we've made a deal with Mr. Freeman to give him shares of our company. and I think something fair to him and fair to our company. It's not a lot. It's not a major percentage of the company. And two, if it goes to production, he would get a royalty, and it's a fair royalty. It's a very common royalty.
0: I'm looking at the map of North America right now, and you have properties in Ontario and Manitoba, and you have a big history in Alaska, and you've leveraged that.
1: Yeah, this industry is about creating value by finding new discoveries of metal that become economic and eventually you can build a mine. And that's our job for our shareholders is to go out and try and find something new and something that exciting. And why I like Genesis, amongst other things, is it's hard to get a property that has access. I mean, we're very close. uh, We're 75 road miles from the city of Valdez. The project has basically only about three kilometers from an all-season paved Richardson Highway, and it has high-capacity electric power. So these things are very difficult to find in a remote project in Alaska which this is not and it's a good size project. We think it could easily be a brand new district. The whole district is something that Kurt and our company, to a degree, have got in there and done the first round of exploration on it. So, And we know that there's a lot of mineralization. We, a lot of assays have already been taken from the surface. So it's, it's a pretty exciting target. And, and I think it's something we could easily get a mid-sized junior company or uh, even a major company to take a look at and help us develop this.
0: What can we see for the rest of the year with New Age Metals?
1: Well, lots of exciting things happening. Our big project we just hired in the last month, two engineering companies to help us complete the first economic study the project's ever seen. Again, for the listeners, we have the largest undeveloped primary platinum group metal deposit right in a key mining district road access, power, all of that less than 62 miles from an area where we ship our concentrate. So we're getting that study done and there'll be some milestones around it. We have a site tour. We're going up next week. Actually, we're getting ready and we have over 47 people now who are going to come to the site next Wednesday. The Tuesday night before that, there's a gala dinner in Sudbury, which is a major mining center and they're having a conference that only happens every four years and we're one of the top three guest speakers so I'll be speaking there. On the next day we're taking the 47 plus our team out to the site we have our engineering company who's writing this economic study meeting us the day before so it's a very busy week next week and lots of news will be coming out of that over the fall and our goal to have it done is the worst case by the end of the second quarter of 2019 on the lithium division we've got a couple teams out in the field right now and we've got drill permit applications in and we're hoping to be able to drill at least one if not two of the lithium divisions and we're doing a lot of surface work on the several properties we have eight of them all together there so a lot of news going to be generated out of that and just a busy fall and unfortunately in terms of winter coming into canada i mean our active exploration season where we can get in the field is right now till about mid to the end of november so we're going to get as much done as we can there and in alaska there'll be a field program done on the genesis
0: property too in the next few weeks Harry, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Good luck with your gala and tour next week, and thanks so much for joining me today in the program. I've been speaking with Harry Barr, the chairman and CEO of New Age Metals, trading as NAM on the TSX Venture Exchange and NMTLF in the U.S. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Jerome Jabour, CEO and director of Matinas Biopharma, trading as MTNB on the New York Stock Exchange. Atinas Biopharma is a clinical stage biopharmaceutical company focused on enabling the delivery of life-changing medicines using its lipid nanocrystal LNC platform technology. I sat down with Mr. Jabort to discuss the company recently in Santa Monica, California. Jerry, welcome to the program.
2: Ellis, thanks very much for having me. If you don't mind, give our audience an overview of the company. Sure. Ellis, I'm the CEO of a company called Matinas Biopharma Holdings, and we're a platform delivery company that's developing a lipid nanocrystal delivery system that really enables us to encapsulate and target delivery of a variety of different medicines intracellularly. So right inside a cell, which makes an enormous difference from a toxicity perspective and really from an efficacy perspective as well.
0: Well, if you don't mind, explain to our audience exactly how that's done. Intracell, is it a patch, is it an injection of some kind? What are we talking about here?
2: What we really do is nano-encapsulate medicine. So we take an active pharmaceutical ingredient. In our case, our lead case, the drug is an antifungal drug called amphotericin B. And we actually place a crystal matrix around that drug. And that is a highly stable, so stable you can boil it in detergent. And that allows us to take an IV-only medicine like amphotericin and make it orally bioavailable. The interesting thing is it protects the body from the drug and the drug from the body. And that is different from the way a lot of medicines are delivered today. Think the penicillin model, which floods the body with drug and you hope some gets to the right spot. Our ability to encapsulate this drug gives us the ability to have oral bioavailability and then we utilize the body's own biology as sort of a Trojan horse drug delivery right to the site of infection.
0: So it's automatically going to target the infection no matter where it is in the body if it's designed that way?
2: Yes, because what our particles do is they pass into a circulatory system in our body called the lymphatics. And that is the purview of white scavenger cells, cells of the immune system whose job it is to sweep up foreign particles and so they ingest our particles which are loaded with drug and on the inside of these cells our particles unwind and then we utilize the cells of the immune system to take the drug right to the site of infection or inflammation.
0: What is the market for this, and what is the competition, if any?
2: So, amphotericin has been a generic molecule for 50 years. It's a very powerful, broad-spectrum drug. The leading drug in the space is a Gilead amphotericin drug called Ambizome. It's about a $300 million-a-year product worldwide. But it's used very sparingly because it's highly, highly toxic. Our delivery system now takes that same IV medicine, makes it oral and safe, to the point where we are targeting this drug for preventative use in leukemia patients who are very susceptible to developing deadly infections because the treatment for leukemia renders them immunocompromised. That allows us to take a drug which today sells $300 and the market opportunity for an oral and safe, broad-spectrum antifungal drug like amphotericin is a billion-dollar-a-year opportunity. And Jerry,
0: where is the company at with regard to clinical trials and studies and getting it out in the
2: market? Ellis, that's an excellent question. Because of our unique ability, our main collaborator in our clinical development is the National Institutes of Health. They have put over $15 million into this technology and they have paid for and run one of our main phase two studies. The data from that study demonstrated that unlike current amphotericin, where you cannot take it longer than two weeks before you get irreversible kidney damage, we've been giving it to patients at the NIH for a year and a half with no toxicity. The results of that study when we showed them to FDA in January of this year, positioned the company to enter a pivotal trial as quickly as possible because of the unmet medical need. So we are on the cusp of entering phase three with this drug and with an agencies in both the FDA and the NIH that are incented to get this approved as soon as possible. But the story is much bigger than that because we are not a one product company. Our unique delivery technology also has the ability to deliver some of the most innovative medicines available today, and I'm talking about gene therapy things like messenger RNA, small interfering RNA, and even CRISPR, which is a complex nucleic acid polymer which essentially is carving out certain DNA sequences in your cells to effect a certain therapeutic result. Unlike any other delivery system today, we have the ability to do this across a variety of therapeutic systems. So we're proving the premise with our lead drug in amphotericin in a billion dollar market, but right behind that, We are the missing puzzle pieces for companies like Alnylam, Sarepta, Moderna, some of the most highly valued companies in medicine today who all have a singular problem. How do they deliver their genetic material safely and without generating an immune response inside a cell? And that's what our system does. So we're scratching the surface of our potential and our data that we've generated to date, not only with amphotericin, but in the gene therapy space, has attracted the eye of strategic partners. By strategic partners, I mean big pharma who would like to partner with us and figure out the right way for them to utilize our delivery system with their compounds and molecules. That is how we're going to take the company from where we are today, as a micro-cap company, to a company that has the opportunity to participate in multiple verticals in multiple billion dollar markets. So we're
0: not looking at a takeout strategy, we're looking at growing the company with joint ventures
2: and partnerships such as the one That you've described. That is the best way for us at this point to derive value by utilizing the resources and the expertise of Big Pharma to drive development and create multiple streams of potential income. That does not mean that we will not become a takeout target because these companies have the resources to want to own a technology like this all to themselves. And all you have to think about is how many drugs are on Big Pharma shelves that fail because of toxicity reasons in phase one or phase two, the right sort of company will see our ability to perhaps resurrect a whole closet full of drugs. And so we will build value with strategic collaborations, but it does not foreclose the potential or the opportunity that we will become a very attractive takeout target in the next few years.
0: So essentially, you become a licensing platform for the technology that you've developed that big pharma can use to, as you say, take things out of the closet that they couldn't risk before because of toxicity issues.
2: That's absolutely correct. That is going to give us, at the lowest cost possible, the opportunity to create the greatest value. When does a company like yours begin to generate revenue? So that will all depend on when a product is approved. Our lead product, depending on how streamlined the development program will become, could have an approval as early as 2021 but in biotech the greatest incremental value is determined between phases of development so between phase two and phase three you will see enormous increases in valuation once commercialization starts that obviously becomes another opportunity to generate real revenue the unique thing about our lead product is it's protected in addition to 20 plus issued patents 12 years of exclusivity which prevents generic competition for more than a decade so it becomes a very very investable development program and potentially at 500 million dollars and above on an annual basis a very lucrative product
0: i think after hearing all this is sort of mood if i ask you about your management team it seems like you have everything in place but if you don't mind give us an overview of who's on board here
2: Sure. I mean, I'll start with myself, but briefly, I am the founder of the company. I recently became the CEO as we have undertaken a variety of strategic initiatives to grow our platform. But our second in command is our chief scientific officer, Rafael Menino, the inventor of this delivery technology, a former professor of medicine at Rutgers University, where the technology comes from. He quote unquote, retired from Rutgers to come into the company and take advantage of the work he's been doing over the last 20 years. Get this platform to the next level Our board is not a Microcap small company board The chairman of our board is a gentleman named Herbert Conrad, an industry legend The former U.S. president of Roche The former chairman of Pharmacet Who steered that company to an $11 billion Exit to Gilead in 2011 We also have Merrill Lynch's former lead analyst A medical doctor by training, Eric Endy Who was Carl Icahn's personal appointment At boards like Biogen And Genzyme, and finally our most recent addition to the board is a infectious disease clinician, Dr. Matthew Wickler, who in addition to being the former deputy director of the division of anti-infectives, the very division we're in front of for our approval on our lead drug, in his private career, he got 20 anti-infective drugs approved on the first try. We have a disruptive platform, broad-based Technology that's being steered by people with a track record of not only developing successful products, but of steering companies to very lucrative and successful exits. So we feel like we have a lot of the ingredients in place. Now that we've built the foundation, it's time to build the rest of the house.
0: This is a financial-based radio program, as you know, and our audience is telling me right now, I can hear them say, What's your share structure like?
2: So we trade today on the New York Stock Exchange. It's all common stock. We do not have any debt on a fully diluted basis. We have about 125 million shares outstanding. There's nothing funky. We have no anti-dilution provisions or any sort of funky ratchets. We have less than 4 million of warrants on our books. And it's really a clean cap structure, which gives us an advantage as we look to move the company forward. And this week you're trading at about? We're trading at anywhere from 36 cents to 40 cents which is really an astonishing kind of disconnect between the potential value of the company and where we are today. In my mind, we will earn a higher stock price, but based upon all the data that's been generated, a technology that's supported and funded by the National Institutes of Health with a board with a track record of building companies, our best future is yet to come.
0: Jerry, it's a pleasure meeting you. Thank you so much for joining me today on the program here in Santa Monica, California.
2: Ellis, it was my pleasure. Thank you, and thank your audience for a few minutes of their time. I've been speaking with Jerome Jabour, CEO and Director of Matinas
0: Biopharma, trading as MTNB on the New York Stock Exchange. Find them at matinasbiopharma.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Gary Cope, the President and Director of Barcelay Minerals Corporation, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as BME and the US as BRSLF. Barcelay is a Canadian-based junior mineral exploration company with an impressive gold, silver, and copper exploration project on renowned mineral trends in Sweden. The management team of this company is widely recognized for the identification of La Preciosa Silver Gold Deposit in Durango, Mexico for Orco Silver. Gary, welcome back to the program. Let's give our audience an overview of Barcelona. And as I understand it, there's virtually no cash outlay by the company until pre-feasibility is completed, correct? Of course, I'm on your mailing list, as many of our listeners are, and I receive fantastic news about Slay Project Drill Hole AVA-18003. Fairly high-grade gold discovered so far. When do you think we can see a new resource estimate? What can we expect to see during the next year? Additionally, Sweden is a fantastic jurisdiction. Many people, at least in North America, are not familiar with the infrastructure set up in Northern Europe. You seldom have to go to the markets to raise capital for this particular company. That's one of the beautiful things about the partnership with Agnico Eagle. And what's that share structure look like? Anything else, Gary? Thanks so much for your time. It's always a pleasure to speak with you, Gary. I've been speaking with Gary Cope, President and Director of Barcelay Minerals, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange as BME and in the U.S. as BRSLF. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with James Pettit, the president and CEO of Aubin Resources, trading as ABN on the TSX Venture Exchange and in the U.S. as ABNAF. ABIN Resources is a Canadian gold exploration company with significant projects in British Columbia, Saskatchewan, and the Yukon. Jim, welcome to the program. For our new listeners, please give us a quick overview of the company.
3: Real quick we're a gold exploration company we've got three projects and our main project which has taken all our focus right now is the forest kerr project in the golden triangle of northwestern british columbia the simple version of it we started last year managed to drill nine holes three of which encountered you know really good gold grade high grades up to 22 grams a ton over good intersections six to nine meters there was three holes so that constitutes a zone and requires more work so we've, you know, we had a short season last year, we got in late because of our permitting, managed to do nine holes, three of which hit. This year, we went back with a bigger program. We're doing 5,000 meters. That's about $1.7 million. That should get us about 18 holes. We've now extended it indefinitely because our first hole of the season, for obvious reasons, we went back into that zone to try to get some dimensions of it, see if there's any expansion capability, and the first hole was Nothing short of spectacular. We had four high-grade intercepts in one hole. And the highest grade being 10 meters of 32, 33 grams. And that had a section within it that was 6 meters of 62 grams. That's like two ounces of gold over six meters. That's spectacular. These were some of the best grades reported in Western Canada in a long time, decades probably. So it's a good way to start. We're expanding on that zone. We're waiting on assays to come back. While we're doing that, you know, you can only drill so much without assays, knowing where to drill, and get a sense of orientation and controls. We moved the drill across the valley to drill west into what's called the Kerr Fault. Never been done before. You know, on that property especially, there's been 120 holes drilled over the decades, but never in that direction. They're always oriented to the south or east. Anyways, we've encountered mineralization, which we described in a news release last week, that is very similar, if not identical, to what we hit last year, which is heavy on the calcopyrite, massive chalcopyrite. And last year, we found that massive calcopyrites are associated to elevated levels of precious metals and hard to see the gold in amongst it all, but it's, it's there. We're waiting for us. We've rushed those assays in, and since that's all been done, we've now got the drill back at the original site at what's called the uh, Boundary North Zone, and we've continued to drill off of We've got three pads set up there. We can just keep changing the angle on it. In the meantime, we're also waiting for permits for new pad locations. You have to do that up in B.C., and also it's, it's an exciting start. The stock has gone 15 cents to today hit a high, I think it's up 48.5 cents um, on tremendous volume. Very liquid.
0: And, of course, I am a shareholder. So what you've just said, essentially, while you're waiting for the assay results, you're not waiting. You're stepping out and you're looking for more gold.
3: Yeah. Yes, we've got the advantage that that where we hit this first hole and the three holes from last year, so that's four holes all showing us very high grades. That location is 230 meters north of a historic hole by Noranda back in 1991 that encountered 10 meters of 30 grams. So we're in an area that is prone for these types of grades. It's also associated to a very strong Geochemical signature where you know we've taken lots of samples over the years, not us but previous owners of the property, and there is a large geochem anomaly there. And it shows up really well, and parts of it are also associated to a geophysical process. So it's coincidental, which is good to see. That's what we actually hit with the three holes. That when we move the rig to the south, that's a kilometer and a half away, and they're hitting something. So now we're in a zone that is starting to look bigger and bigger. As we go, and uh, what we'll do is we'll try to fill in the space over time between the north boundary zone discovery that we made this year and that historic hole as we head south. That's going to be a big part of our going forward. And now we've got this other target we're waiting on assays. They're rushed on those three holes that we did on the west side. That's another kilometer and a half away. But on trend, this geophysical anomaly runs for four kilometers.
0: So eventually we get a resource estimate on what you've already drilled, and then you're going to drill until you can't anymore this season. And then we'll have more results probably when.
3: Well, we'll be able to drill there easily, we're hoping, until the end of September. And then the weather gets a little bit inclement, and it's far enough north that it starts getting dark. And we're helicopter support up there. We fly up every day. The crews are taken in and out by helicopter every day. And it's, you know, it just becomes more difficult and the snow starts to fly about mid-October. So it becomes a short season, but we started early. So I think by the end of the season, by the time we're done, we're going to have, instead of 5,000 meters drilled, we'll have between ten and 15,000 meters drilled. And those assays will carry on right through. We'll, we'll be getting assays through probably into December.
0: Well, Jim, this is a nice summer story in a sector that hasn't seen a lot of love. We're finding that love in the Golden Triangle.
3: Well, we are, and there's nothing like high-grade and gold to spark interest. This could have been a zinc deal or a copper deal. It probably wouldn't have garnered this much interest. It's been a slow summer in the commodity markets. There's been a lot of people really looking for something to do, but when you do hit on a high-grade gold, it just proves the old theory. I mean, nothing like it. Jim, how are you capitalized going forth for all the the drilling uh, that you intend on doing? We had about a million and a half left in the till for the current drill program. But with that discovery in our first hole, we raised another $4.2 million. And that financing was led by an individual named Eric Sprott. And he took himself $2 million of it. That's a bit of a pat on the back, I guess, because Eric is the billionaire gold fanatic that started Sprott Resources. I wouldn't call him a fanatic, but he is a gold bug. He loves gold. He loves these deals. And he recognizes when it's time to get into a deal and he's not afraid to hang on.
0: I've been speaking with James Pettit, the president and CEO of Aubin Resources, trading as ABN on the TSX Venture Exchange and in the U.S. as ABNAF. Find their logo on our website, EllismartReport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. High quality but undervalued mining stocks are finally starting to attract the attention of investors. Get the latest news and resource stock investment opportunities with a subscription to Resource World magazine. Published six times a year, Resource World features in-depth articles on mineral area plays, commodities of interest, and valuable investment insights by highly qualified market analysts, geologists, and mining journalists. Go to resourceworld.com to find out more. Join me for a conversation with John Anderson, the chairman of Triumph Gold Corp, trading as TIG on the TSX Venture Exchange and TIGCF in the U.S. Triumph Gold Corp is a mineral exploration company currently focused on its 100% free gold mountain project in Canada's Yukon. This road accessible property is located in the Dawson Range Gold Copper Belt host to the Casino Copper Deposit, the Coffee Gold Deposit, and the Plaza Gold Prospect. Triumph Gold Corp. has a leadership team with a collective history of exploration, success, as well as capital-raising ability. John, welcome back to the program. It's nice to speak with you again.
4: And it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Ellis.
0: Tell us about what's been going on in the 100%-owned Blue Sky Zone.
4: Thanks, Alice. Since last time we spoke, we just commenced our exploration program for the 2018 season to follow up on last year's exploration success. Last year, we came up with four new uh, expiration ideas that were followed up on with drilling, and this year we wanted to follow up on that success and. Prove the concept of what we came up with, as well as explore new ideas on the property. As it relates to Blue Sky, last year we had a a technical discovery that we were really excited about. We hit a porphyry zone around our already large resource. It confirmed a geological mineralized zone that was 3.5 kilometers long. What we wanted to follow up was further define that and vector in on grade so we can show the market some confidence to the size and and really the richness of this discovery.
0: Well, I think the market has that confidence about Triumph even before you've completely proved it out. Good news coming from the Yukon.
4: Again, following up from last year, we hit one porphyry zone of 52 meters and it was a gram of gold and 0.3% copper. And that in a porphyry would make it one of the richest porphyries in the whole western Cordillera. What we were able to do this year was do follow up on that and we hit a, a fairly significant breccia zone outside of that called the Wow Breccia where we hit over uh, 100 meters, 1.33 gram gold equivalent. And then Shortly thereafter, we came up with the first couple holes in this blue sky porphyry where we confirmed that same grade over multiple intercepts of over 200 meters of one gram gold and 0.3% copper. So we know we have an elephant by the tail, and we're continuing to explore it.
0: What sort of conversations have you been having, John, with companies such as Goldcorp, etc., without getting into any... Uh confidentiality agreements, of course.
4: Reno, Ellis, we have two mining companies that are uh, our shareholders, in particular, Goldcorp has 19% of the company, or 19.999% of the company. And Zinshin Mining out of China, they've got just under 10%. They're under CA. We have a few other companies that are under confidentiality agreements, so I really can't comment on any of those.
0: There have been some major successes in the area regionally. What does that portend?
4: Well, a lot of talk and a lot of excitement in the junior exploration business right now, particularly what's called the Golden Triangle in British Columbia. And the Golden Triangle is it's a great... Promotional term, but it's really the whole Tatina gold belt that goes through British Columbia and up through the Yukon and into Alaska. So it is pretty much the same large block of rocks. And within that, you've had a few big discoveries that the markets really jumped on. In particular, Abin and Golden Ridge. And I think our project mirrors really the success of Golden Ridge, and the strategy mirrors what Abin has. And and so Abin last year came out with what they said was a discovery hole, but they didn't get a lot of love in the market until this year, and really because you had the confirmation of that same success of last year. That's exactly what we have had this year at Triumph, where we had confirmation with grade and size to last year's expiration success. As it relates to Golden Ridge, Golden Ridge has come out with a fantastic porphyry in British Columbia. It's 0.3% copper and 3 grams gold in a porphyry rated surface. I think what we want to get across is that we've got something like that, but it is much richer with a gold content. We've pretty much got three times the gold content than those other ones.
0: Do you think we're seeing a new gold rush between the Golden Triangle and the Yukon, perhaps something we haven't seen in over 100 to 150 years? That's a big number, I realize. What do you think?
4: You're definitely seeing a gold rush in British Columbia with the juniors. I'd say the Yukon one is a little more mature than that. And why I say that is you're having all these juniors having success and their stocks are, are doing phenomenally well. Why I say the Yukon is more advanced than that is you look at who's in the Yukon versus who's in British Columbia where in the last two years Goldcorp has showing up with obviously the purchase of Kamenak resources for $520 million, their investment into us. And then you've seen Newmont take a big stake in the Yukon. You've seen Barrick show up in the Yukon, Corlane Mining, is showing up in the Yukon and you're seeing physical presence of all the majors and it's not just consultants for the majors it's actually the companies. so that's the one thing i will say the Yukon is a little more mature is that they're probably two years ahead of this british columbia rush per se
0: what's the next step for triumph for the rest of the year and beyond
4: well, we are just wrapping up our expiration seasonal program now. We should be finished by the end of September. We've come up with our first two sets of results, primarily the wow breccia that I discussed earlier and the initials from the Blue Sky Zone. We have got a number of our results to come through, probably right through to the end of November, because as drilling goes on, it, it does take a couple of months to get these results. And we're doing a lot more work than just drilling.
0: Let's talk about the share structure.
4: We have incredible shareholders, and I thank them every time I see them. Go out of my way to thank them. We have Gold Corp. obviously having 18.99%. Zinshin that I mentioned that's got 10%. Also, Gold 2000 at Zurich who have been so great to work with. They have 10%. Palisades Capital has been phenomenal and they've got about 17.5% and a couple other funds. If we had to put it together, we're probably about 60% institutional and held by other mining companies and long-term shareholders that still we communicate with every day, so I would say we've got a good 70% of well-held, supportive shareholders. And Again, I, I just can't thank them enough for the patience and the perseverance and the assistance.
0: I've been speaking with John Anderson, the chairman of Triumph Gold Corp, trading as TIG on the TSX Venture Exchange and TIGCF in the U.S. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Jordan Trimble, the president and chief executive officer of Sky Harbor Resources trading as SYH on the TSX Venture Exchange and SYHBF on the OTCQB in the US. Sky Harbor Resources is a preeminent uranium and thorium exploration company with projects located in the prolific Athabasca Basin of Saskatchewan, Canada, which was ranked as the best mining jurisdiction to work in globally by the Fraser Institute in 2017. The company has been acquiring top-tier exploration projects At attractive valuations culminating in five uranium properties totaling approximately 200,000 hectares throughout the basin. In July 2016, Sky Harbor secured an option from Denison Mines to acquire a 100% interest in the Moore Uranium Project. Now the flagship project which hosts the high-grade Maverick Zone. The company is run by a strong management and geological team who are major shareholders with extensive capital markets experience as well as focused uranium exploration expertise in the basin. Jordan, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me. If you don't mind, give our audience an overview of the company.
5: Sure. So Sky Harbor is a high-grade uranium exploration and early-stage development company. All of our projects are in northern Saskatchewan in what's called the Athabasca Basin. It's the highest grade deposit repository of uranium in the world, uh, notable companies that operate there like Cameco, like NextGen Fission, which just in recent years have made significant new high-grade discoveries. They've created a lot of value for their shareholders. And then a handful of, of junior companies, exploration companies, Sky Harbor included. It's an area of the world, a jurisdiction that's ranked in the top five consistently as top mining jurisdictions to operate in good infrastructure, lots of exploration and discovery potential. So it's a great place to be. We've spent the last five or six years now building a project portfolio consisting of projects that range from earlier stage, more grassroots exploration projects to more advanced stage exploration projects. We have Two projects in particular, Falcon Point, which does host an NI-43-101 Inferred Uranium Resource, and our flagship project, the Moore Uranium Project, which is really the crown jewel for the company. There's a small high-grade zone of uranium mineralization at what's called the Maverick Zone. We found high-grade uranium at what's called the Unconformity, pods of uranium along strike at about 260-270 meters vertical depth, which is actually relatively shallow for Athabasca Basin deposits. We just started a summer drill program, so that's where you're going to see lots of the news flow coming out over the next several months, a minimum of 3,000 meters of drilling. And what's exciting about this drill program that's just started is it's really our first shot at trying to make a new discovery on that project in what's called the basement rock so underneath the sandstone covers the more shallow areas there's the basement rocks which is where some of the highest grade and, and most recent discoveries like next gen like fission, like griff the griffin deposit at denison's wheeler project have been made so we now have the targets in the basement rock and we're going to be drill testing those targets looking to find a bit deeper but higher grade and larger deposits at depth
0: we've spoken about acid energy on this program before Tell us about your partnership with them.
5: Yeah, so absolutely. So, As in Court's one of two option partners we have. We, in conjunction with our main strategy of finding new high-grade deposits, uranium deposits in the Athabasca Basin, we do employ as a secondary strategy prospect generation. So we have projects that we will basically incubate, if you will, and advance them to a stage where a larger company or another partner will come in and earn in, option in on the project. So we've done two such deals in the last year and a half, one of which with court, they are going to be planning to drill what's called the East Preston Project. This is over by Fission and Nexion on the west side of the basin. You saw some recent news on that. So they're planning for a drill program later this year, early next year, to explore and drill test targets that they found on that property. The terms of that deal, it's essentially a three-year deal. They have to spend two and a half million, so fund two and a half million dollars worth of exploration over those three years, pay a million dollars in cash payments, and they've issued some shares. We have another option agreement with a much larger, company and strategic partner, uh, industry leader, Orono, previously known as Arriva, which is a large nuclear and uranium mining company out of France. So we consummated that deal in early 2017, and Arriva, or now Orono, can earn up to 70% at what's called the Preston Project by spending a total of $8 million over a six-year period. So they've just finished a drill program earlier this year with results pending, and they are planning additional exploration Programs over the next 12 months as well.
0: You know, for France being a left of center country, more or less, they sure do lead Europe and the United States with regard to nuclear energy, clean energy. France is a
5: perfect example of a developed country that's been able to generate lots of clean electricity. Over 70% of the grid is CO2-free from nuclear energy. It brought their electricity costs down, their emissions down. It's a perfect poster child, if you will, for the benefits of nuclear, especially for some of these developing countries. And again, we talk about the growth in demand globally in nuclear. It still very much is a growth story in parts of the world like. China, like India, like the Middle East, places where they're building new nuclear reactors, large nuclear reactors that consume a lot of uranium on an annual basis. There's 56 reactors currently under construction, over 450 operating and hundreds more in the pipeline, right? And so, you know, we don't really think about nuclear, hear about nuclear as much as a growth story in the Western world, but in parts of the world where billions of people are coming up potentially into the middle class, that's where nuclear is a growth story. They need a lot of electricity and they need clean electricity.
0: Is that why, in your opinion, we've seen more interest in uranium when there's other factors involved that we've discussed before, as in the self-regulation of the supply and price of uranium and the cutback in production meant to increase that price?
5: In particular in the U.S., right, if we look at what's happening right now in the U.S.A. where you have almost 20% of the country, one in five homes, powered by nuclear and you know, a large amount of the grid continue to power by nuclear going forward, the issue in the U.S. is that most of that fuel, most of that uranium is sourced internationally from non-domestic sources. The U.S. only produces less than 5% its annual consumption of uranium. So that's where you've seen this petition 232 and the uh, subsequent investigation that's underway to try to source more uranium domestically. Now, the issue, however, is that the price of the commodity, the price of uranium is still unsustainably low in the mid-20s. Most mines globally do not make money at twenty five twenty six dollar uranium where the current spot price is the average global cost of production all ends over forty dollars a pound and the price needed to incentivize new builds new projects to come online is sixty dollars a pound so it's one thing to say okay yes we want to source more uranium domestically but these these miners still need to be profitable and they simply can't be at the current prices so a good example of why prices need to go higher to meet that current demand and growing demand, especially in the developing world, we're going to need to see that price move to bring new production online, and even to keep current production online, and you talk about these recent supply cuts, that's a big, big talking point right now, We're in 2018, likely only going to be producing around 130 to 135 million pounds of uranium, Well, global demand this year is projected to be about 190 million pounds, so significant supply deficit there, that'll have to be met by secondary supply, there's been a lot of talk of inventories of uranium out there, there's always a lot of inventory of uranium out there, there are a lot of governments do mandate it. How much of that inventory is mobile? How much of it can come into the spot market? And there's not a lot of it that can. So we're starting now to see upward pressure on the uranium price as a result of this. The supply cuts out of Cameco and out of Kazatoprom, the two largest producers of uranium globally. But we're also now seeing new buyers coming into the market. We've seen this fund, Yellowcake, just recently raised $200 million in London to buy 8.1 million pounds directly from Kazakhstan, the largest producer of uranium globally. They have an option to raise and buy $100 million more each year for the next nine years. Again, that's $100 million going forward each year assuming they do that that will be bought by them and not sold into the spot market and you have large producers like Cameco that have guided that they're going to be going into the spot market and they're going to be buying material in the spot market and selling it into their long-term contracts. It's actually more profitable for them to do that than to produce from some of their large mines. They just shut down MacArthur River, which is the world's largest richest uranium mine in the world. It's a relatively low-cost mine, and again, that just shows you how unsustainably low these prices are when they have to shut down mines in the lowest-cost quartile of the industry and actually go and buy material in the spot market. As we say, there are essentially doing a share buyback or a normal course issuer bid on the not on their the shares of the company but on the commodity that they actually mine so we're we're seeing a confluence of factors working together to, to drive higher uranium prices and higher uranium prices translate to higher share prices for the uranium miners.
0: Speaking of which what can we look forward to with regard to Sky Harbor over the next 12 months?
5: The big one on the near term is the drill program that's just started. So again, minimum three thousand meters testing basement hosted targets. We will have updates and results out over the coming week. You know, as an exploration company, that is the main catalyst. There is the exploration programs and drill programs planned by our partner companies, as we talked about over on the west side of the basin, as they're earning in seventy percent both Orono and in Court. So we have news out on our drilling and our results, but we'll also have news out on our partner companies' exploration programs. We are looking to bring in other partners on some of our other projects as we continue to execute on that prospect generator strategy. We have three other projects, Falcon Point, Yurchison, and Man Lake that we own 100% of that we're talking with other companies on right now. And then in the new year, we are looking to put out or issue a maiden NI43101 resource estimate at our flagship more project. So once this current drill program is complete we have the results back we will then look uh, to put out a resource estimate which will be a a pretty significant milestone for the company so lots of news and catalysts on the horizon to hopefully complement a rising tide in the uranium market
0: i've been speaking with jordan trimble president and ceo of sky harbor resources trading as syh on the tsx venture exchange and syhbf on the otcqb in the u.s For the Ellis Martin Report and Sky Harbor Resources, I'm Ellis Martin. You've just heard opinion, commentary, and dissertation involving publicly traded companies seeking your potential investment. they paid us for the proof. Invest at your own risk and only after doing extensive research. Find our sponsors and listen to segments of this program again on our website, ellismartinreport.com.